When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's the amazing Rico Bronya podcast with your host, Evan Roberts. Hope everybody had a wonderful weekend. Welcome to Rico Bronya. A lot to discuss. Shohei Otani is an LA Dodger. Jorge Lopez is a New York Met. We all wait on the Yamamoto decision and we come up with plans on what if he doesn't choose the New York Mets. But let me start off with Shohei Otani. And I feel like I have to preface this with a lot of warnings before I say how I truly feel about what happened with Shohei on Saturday when we all got the news that he was signing that mega contract with the L.A. Dodgers. I am really happy that Steve Cohen owns the New York Mets. Even if this offseason doesn't go the way we hope or expect, I'm thrilled that a billionaire owns this team. I am thrilled that he has shown, and in the few years that he's been here, a willingness to spend some of which has not worked out, a lot of which has not worked out. He has spent long-term trading and re-signing Francisco Lindor. He has spent short-term signing Justin Verlander, signing Max Scherzer, and then showing a commitment to then spend even more to pay off the bad contracts of Scherzer and Verlander and turn that into prospects, and I appreciate that. So I am not going to go on a diatribe that Steve Cohen sucks or I miss the Wilpons or anything as ignorant as that. With that out of the way, I want you to hear me out on this. The caricature that we created of Steve Cohen, of this free-wielding billionaire who doesn't give an F and he's going to buy whatever star is in his way and nothing will stop him, that caricature that we built, that I helped kind of art over the last few years, I admit I'm a part of it, that caricature is dead. It really is. Because what I heard after Otani signed with the Dodgers was Steve Cohen immediately say publicly, I guess it was to Mike Puma, you know, the agent didn't even reach out to me. Huh. I guess that shows you how much interest Otani had in New York, huh? So I think we all believed that story that Otani didn't want to come here. And that's why... Most of us were not really, really, really thinking it was going to happen. It was a small part of us hoping, hey, maybe the billionaire is going to swoop it and make an offer he couldn't refuse. But that's the key. That's what we thought, some of us thought, deep down, hey, even if this guy doesn't want to be here, the billionaire owner is going to at least make an attempt. The billionaire owner is still going to lay it all on the table and make it very difficult to say no. That's the vision I had of Steve Cohen. That's the vision a lot of us had of Steve Cohen. And again, you're going to hear this and say, oh, look, Evan's turning on Steve Cohen. Evan hates Steve Cohen. Evan's an idiot. No, no, hold on a second. I love Steve Cohen. I still am thrilled he owns this team. There are going to be free agents he gets. There are going to be big contracts he hands out. And maybe this is our own fault. But we created this vision of this billionaire that was going to bully baseball around and get exactly what he wanted. 
And when the biggest free agent in the history of the sport became available, what happened? Now, here's what happened. I hear excuses. I hear, oh, can you believe it? The agent didn't even reach out. How about this? How about you call the agent? How about you call Shohei Otani? How about you just make a monster, monster offer and let Shohei Otani say no? And that's how I felt over the last few weeks and months going into this, and I had said it numerous times. Just make him a monster offer. Make him the biggest offer. And when he says no, how can we complain? How can we rip the owner? How can we rip the Mets? The guy just didn't want to be here. They didn't make an offer. Two stories have come out over the last few days around the Mets' interest in Shohei Otani. One's an excuse, which is Steve Cohen saying, I can't believe the agent didn't even reach out, as if that's disqualifying. I get it. Otani didn't want to be here. I'm not arguing that. I'm arguing, make a phone call. (laughs) What is this? Like, after a first date, you can't call her. She has to call you or vice versa. Like, what the hell is this? Call the agent. And say, hey, by the way, we hear through the grapevine that Shohei doesn't want to be here. He doesn't want to come to New York. I'm prepared to make that very difficult for him to say out loud. That's all. That's all. And I'm not even arguing the baseball side of things, which would be, because I know there are a lot of people thinking this, which is, but Evan, you wanted to give this guy $800 million? That's not even my point. It's if this was the billionaire we envisioned, if this was the caricature we've created over the last few years, his beautiful, sexy money, he's the king, he does this, he gets what he wants, he didn't make an offer for the best player in baseball. The second excuse we heard was the Mets were interested, but this got too pricey. Well, look, if you're making the decision... We don't think it's worth it. I understand that. I mean, you're going to pay a guy $70 million a season, though a lot of it's deferred, but essentially you're going to give a guy $70 million a season and you don't know if he can do both. $70 million a season, if he is doing both at a high level, is worth it because that's $35 million as a pitcher, $35 million as a hitter seems fair to me. (laughs) But if he doesn't do both, you're just paying $70 million for a guy to DH. I get it. It's a lot of money. It's an overpay. But again, out of their price range. I thought we were past that. I didn't think we were ever going to hear that again. I'm not devastated the Mets didn't get Shohei Otani, and I fully understand the risks that were involved in signing him and the risks that the L.A. Dodgers are taking in signing him. But the vision we created of this owner, it doesn't exist. You know what he is? And this is not a bad thing. He's a billionaire who will spend a lot of money on payroll. That's what he is, and that's great. But he's not what we thought. Come on, a year ago. Think about this, Met fans, if we're being intellectually honest with ourselves and not just changing the story because we want to feel better. A year ago, don't you think we would have thought Steve Cohen would have made a monster bid for Shohei Otani? Six months ago, don't you think we thought they were going to make a monster bid for Shohei Otani? And by the way, when we were guessing how much he was going to make a few weeks and months ago, we weren't even that far off in terms of what he got. So to act like, oh, $700 million is way too much, are we surprised? Look, I've made this prediction about Juan Soto, who's going to get to free agency next year. I think he's going to get close to $600 million. I don't think he's going to match Otani's 700 though Scott Boris will try. 
I think he's going to get $600 million. So let's not act aghast a year from now when that happens. Are we really that surprised that Otani got $70 million a year when you think about what he would be worth if he is doing both? And we're not even factoring in, and this is where the Dodgers win, loser draw will make out really well on this deal. This is not squarely a baseball move. I just described it as one. Hey, if he does both, $35 million a year seems like a bargain. He is a guy that's going to bring back so much money in advertising, in ticket sales, in jersey sales, everything that goes along with being in the business of Shohei Otani. And the Mets didn't try. They didn't try. Instead, we hear, boy, the agent didn't call. I'm sorry. And if that bothers you, what I'm saying, I'm going to tell you, that's how I really felt when I heard the news on Saturday. Because when he picked L.A. and that news came out, my follow-up was, okay, I want to know what the Mets did. I want to know, was there an offer? How much was it? I was waiting to hear, yeah, the Mets offered him $710 million. But Shohei wanted to be in Southern California. Instead, we get Steve Cohen releasing a quote that he's stunned that the agent didn't reach out. And then we get, yeah, it was out of the Mets' price range. Okay. I wasn't expecting that. I was hoping for more. And maybe this is a case of this is my fault and this is all of our faults for expecting this caricature of an owner that we created in our head. So no Shohei Otani. By the way, just quick baseball aside on the Dodgers. And if I'm a Dodger fan, sure, I'd be very excited. I just added Shohei Otani. Think about that roster right now. Think about that lineup right now. The three guys that jump out at you in that lineup are two MVP candidates every single season. Freddie Freeman who had a very good season last year, and, of course, Mookie Betts, who also had a great season last year. Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman, and now Shohei Otani. Where's the core that they built with their farm system? I mean, this is just literally going out and buying people, and that's okay. I'm not complaining about it. It's just an observation on what they're doing. Their other really good hitter last year, J.D. Martinez, is probably gone. So they get an upgrade going from J.D. Martinez to Shohei Otani, but... J.D. did hit 33 home runs, driving 100 runs last year. The Otani pitching thing, and I would have felt the same way if he came to the Mets, it's not something I can think about this season. When we're breaking down 2025, sure, that's a big factor. But in 2024, he's not a pitcher. So what I see is that the Dodgers added this superstar, this great offensive player, and I'm not going to say he isn't an upgrade over J.D. He is. But when you look at what J.D. produced last year, it's not as if they're replacing Daniel Vogelback with Shohei Otani. And what's really going to determine how we feel about the Dodgers is what they do pitching-wise. Because Julio Urias isn't going to pitch, and he wasn't any good last year, but he's certainly not going to pitch. There will be a suspension coming. Who knows about the future of Clayton Kershaw? Bobby Miller was really their only consistent starter last year. Tony Gonsolin's never healthy and didn't pitch well last year. They don't exactly have this deep rotation. That's the biggest thing they needed to address. And it's funny, I sound so hypercritical of a team that won 100 games last year, but I guess for them it was a bad year. But I look at the Dodgers, and you know, good for them adding Otani. They're not this unbeatable juggernaut. They have a lot of flaws. Are they better than the Mets? Yes. I wasn't bringing this up as a comparison. It was just more a general baseball observation on where they appear to be right now. But congrats to the Dodgers. They get Shohei Otani, and we learn a lesson about our great owner, Steve Cohen. Item number two, and we got a lot of emails to get to, including many on the pivot, the potential pivot, if the Mets don't land Yoshinabu Yamamoto. Francisco Alvarez, according to Tim Healy, is interested in a long-term deal. 
really on the heels of so many other younger players getting long-term deals, including Churios in Milwaukee. I'd love it. I think it'd be great. This is not something we've seen this franchise do in a while. And it's something that when you're a small market team, it kind of matters more. Now, granted, if the Mets bought out Pete Alonso a few years ago, we wouldn't be talking about his impending free agency. So even as a big market team, there's a benefit to it. But it really benefits the smaller market team more. I think it's a risk worth taking when you're the player and you're the team. If you're the player, you're guaranteeing yourself a hell of a lot of money. And if you're the player, you're taking a gamble on a young player that you believe in. So the problem with this story so far is that it's a one-way street. Tim Healy reports Francisco Alvarez is interested in extension. Great. Are the Mets interested in an extension? And a thought about Francisco Alvarez, especially as we kind of get more focus on what this offseason is going to look like. And really, we don't have that much clarity on what this offseason is going to look like because most of the moves have been on the margins. They did add Luis Severino. Who knows what kind of bat they're going to add to this lineup. And this was an offense that a year ago, while it may not have been their biggest issue, and I argued that all year long, it certainly wasn't a strength. It's not like they had some juggernaut offense and it was the pitching that derailed their season. I say this because here in December, I think Francisco Alvarez in a lot of ways is going to be the key to success in 2024. Because I think we know what Brandon Nimmo is. I think we know what Francisco Lindor is. I think we know what Pete Alonso is. And they're good. But the question is, is there anybody else in this lineup that can step up and join that core as an everyday 25 to 35 home run, 800 OPS, drive in the big run bat. Now, Jeff McNeil's a part of that too. He is coming off a lousy season, and I'd put him a part of that core as well, assuming he's on this team, and I think he will be. But Alvarez is the guy who showed the most promise last year. Alvarez is the guy who now with a full year of major league experience could explode. I mean, he could be that 40 home run bomb bat that protects Pete in this lineup. And if the Mets are going to have success in 24, and I warn you, we are unfortunately going to go into a season, whether they sign Yamamoto or not, and certainly maybe even more so with Yamamoto because we've never seen the guy pitch in the major leagues. Where hopefully he's going to be dominant and great. He's going to be paid like he's dominant and great. But the truth is, we don't know. The Mets are going to go into next year with a lot of ifs. If this happens, blank. If this happens, blank. And I think one of the biggest things that can make this season a success is Francisco Alvarez not just proving he's a good everyday player, but being a star, a beast. And I certainly think he has that potential. The Mets also signed Jorge Lopez to a one-year deal. Jorge Lopez for most of his major league career, bouncing around the major leagues the last couple of years, obviously with the Orioles, recently with the Minnesota Twins, really has a half of a season of great success coming out of the bullpen. A lot of times with relievers, there are kind of up and down resumes. Couple of good years, couple of bad years. Relievers are very, very difficult to kind of pin down, unless you're a top-notch closer. There are very few setup guys throughout major league baseball who are reliable. Jorge Lopez, who is now 31 years old. He's 30 now. He'll be 31 on opening day. So for the sake of this discussion, he's 31 years old. When he was converted into a reliever back in 2021, because he was a failed starting pitcher, which is kind of traditional in terms of bullpen arms. 
Nowadays, you have some guys that are actually drafted as relievers. They're made relievers in the minor leagues. Jorge Lopez follows that traditional trend of he was a starter. He was with the Brewers. He was with the Royals. He was with the Orioles. He was a starting pitcher. He was not good. The Orioles move him to the bullpen. And in the first half of 2022, he was one of the better relievers in all of baseball. He was a little bit lucky when you look at his FIP compared to his ERA. But overall, he had a really good year. In fact, he was an all-star that year for the Orioles. They traded him at the deadline to Minnesota where he was very mediocre. And then last year, he was actually on three different teams. He was with Minnesota. He was with Miami. He was with Baltimore. And he was not good anywhere he was. Heavily relies on a sinker and a curveball. But he's got a major league deal. My understanding is he's got a major league deal. And so what that means right now When you're looking at the Met bullpen, and let's figure there are eight guys in the pen, you have yourself, to me, two mortal locks in Edwin Diaz and Brooks Raley. But you have other guys. In fact, you have a lot of other guys that are either designated for assignment, so you're not storing them in AAA, you're DFAing them, you're trading them, or they're on your roster to start the year. They signed Austin Adams to a split contract, but my understanding is I guess I have to read more about what a split contract actually is, but he's out of options. So Austin Adams is likely to be in this major league bullpen. Drew Smith is out of options. So the Mets decided to tender him a contract, which to me tells me they're either going to trade him or he's going to be in this bullpen. They picked up Michael Tonkin. He's out of options. Jorge Lopez is on this roster. And there's a few other guys like Phil Bickford, who's also out of options. So you've already got two, four, six, like eight guys already that I can't say they're locks to be on the roster. They're not. I think the Mets are going to add a more reliable bullpen arm. At least I hope. On Sunday, Andrew Chafin, who's been the apple of our eyes many different times, did not have a great year last year with Arizona and Milwaukee. He went back to Detroit. Not a word from the Mets or that we've heard of, obviously. Will Smith, who's the kind of the lucky, he's the lucky, I was going to think of, what's that tail? The lucky tail or something like that, a horse tail. <laughs> Hoff's at Disney World, by the way. I'm sure he would have the answer to it. The rabbit's tail, there it is, just popped into my head. He's the lucky rabbit's tail, Will Smith, because his teams are always in the World Series. He signed a one-year deal with Kansas City, which means he's going to be traded at the deadline. So they let two other veteran, mediocre, I admit, left-handed relievers come off the market. There's still a lot of relievers available, including the big one, Josh Hader. Not that I think the Mets are going to go after him. But so far, Austin Adams, Jorge Lopez, Michael Tompkin, it does feel like on-the-margin bullpen additions. Uh, Diaz and Raley, I feel good about. The rest of it I would view as a competition in spring training. But they did bring in... Jorge Lopez in a free agent deal. And every time they sign a guy like this, even though it's okay, it's not bad to bring it on the margin, guys. The reaction of some Met fans, including Pete, is like, oh, can you believe it? Jorge Lopez. All right, let me get to some of your emails because there were some good ones. You guys were very funny, creative, and mean in the Rico Bronia mailbag. The Rico B at gmail.com. Larry Cordero called me out on something, and he's spot on. Evan, when you went through all the $100 million contracts the Mets have handed out in the past, you didn't mention Jacob deGrom. No need to discuss on the podcast, but please tell me why you left him off. Thanks. I am discussing it on the podcast because I need to be held accountable. I forgot that one. And that is crazy. 
considering he's my guy. And I actually put up a Christmas ornament of Jacob deGrom this year for Christmas. And for whatever reason, that one just like flew out of my mind. So good call by you, Larry. And by the way, is there anything wrong with that? Like there are certain guys who played for the teams I root for who even soon after departing, I could take a step back and say, you know what? Guy was an all-time great player. I can still wear his jersey and I can still put the ornament on my Christmas tree. I'll give you one. I'll give you a Met example. I don't want to go to these other teams. These are the crappy teams I root for. i give you a Met example. Mike Piazza still played a few more years after the Mets decided to move on from him. He went to San Diego. In fact, think about how close the Mets came to playing him in the National League Championship Series in 2006. And I think all Met fans were good still wearing his jersey, still celebrating him. So it's special. It's not for everybody, but I still celebrate him. Maybe that makes me a fanboy, but good call, Larry. That is a $100 million deal that the Mets did hand out, and that was prior to Steve Cohen. Charlie writes, During the end of the season, I heard a lot of chatter about the Mets' potential interest in bringing back David Robertson. I know that talk is mostly boosted from fans, but I can't understand why no teams have really shown an interest in him, especially after the Mets half a season where he proved he could pitch well for the team. The Mets have been signing all these low-risk relievers lately. Why not run it back with someone who won't cost you as much and has much better potential? Would love your thoughts on why he may be missing in action. A couple of things. I think we're at that point of the offseason where there are still a lot of guys waiting and there are still markets were waiting to kind of unravel. I don't think Otani impacts him, but maybe Josh Hader does. Maybe. I mean, Craig Kimbrell already signed. But I do think that there are some guys in free agency, whether it's their choosing or there's just a lack of interest until later on, where their signings don't occur till January and February. Not everybody's wrapped up before Christmas. So I don't read much into it. The only thing I'd wonder about is that David was so bad in the second half of last year. And we forget this because he was so good for the Mets. David Robertson was a really, really good Met, but he struggled so badly with the Marlins. He lost the closers role. He wasn't the same guy. Is there something there? Are the Mets concerned about him as well? We'll see. But I'd give it a little bit more time. It's still mid-December. Brian Safchik writes, (laughs) before I read this guy's email, I showed this email to my wife and she loved it. This was her favorite email that maybe I've ever received. Brian writes, Evan, I love you, my man, but can you please act like you have a Latina wife and stop saying Luis Angel Acuna's name wrong? It's not Angel like the team that lost Otani. It's pronounced Angel. Luis Angel Acuna, all the love. There's nothing I love more than pronunciation emails because... Of course I want to pronounce the guy's name right. I screw up a lot. It's certainly not done with any malcontent, if you will. So from here on out, much like I think I corrected my pronunciation eventually of Luis Guillaume, I from now on will remind myself that I am married to a Latina, which means Luis Angel Acuna. I feel good now. Don't we feel good? (laughs) Jimmy Kearney writes pivot what if the word pivot has been mentioned a lot on this podcast recently what if the Mets don't land Yamamoto you've covered parts of this question on past pods but a pivot just isn't enough so in a broader sense what does it say that we have the richest owner in baseball but he can't sell free agents on signing with his team 
Losing out on Yamamoto after losing out on Otani now would be a complete nightmare. And I have to ask David Stearns, what does the 25 plan look like without Otani, Yamamoto, or Soto? Or how much of the Mets all-in in 2025 proclamation counted on them getting at least two of those three? Doesn't it feel like we're still a mid-market team with the highest payroll in baseball? Extending Pete now is a must, even if it's the only big splash they make. I believe he and Soto are the top two offensive free agents in 25, and I give the Mets a 5% chance of signing Soto. Letting Pete hit free agency can only turn into a public relations nightmare. Uh, A couple of things. I want to answer that. I I think there's a difference between losing Yoshinabu Yamamoto when you're the highest bidder versus what we just saw with Shohei Otani. And this is going to be the opposite of, I think, the way a lot of people are going to handle this. Most people are going to scream and yell if the Mets don't get Yamamoto. And I can't promise you I won't scream and yell. But as I sit here rationally, I think I'm bothered more by the Mets not even trying on Otani and giving out these lame, well, the agent never called us excuse. Like, that would bother me more then giving it the best effort you can on Yoshinabu and having him say, I'm good, I'd rather play somewhere else for less money. Because I think if you lose somebody and you offer them the most money, and yes, does it lead to a bigger discussion on what's wrong with the Mets? Why are the Yankees or the Dodgers more appealing? And like this self-reflective discussion, sure. And it certainly brings up how do we change having this happen again? Yeah, those are all fair discussions. And I think... A lot of the answers are painfully obvious, but are we going to be angry? Because that's my point. Like if Steve Cohen offers Yamamoto $300 million and the Yankees offer him 250 and he picks the Yankees because whatever, he grew up with a Tanaka poster on his wall. It's going to be tough to, to be pissed at the owner. Even if that's what a lot of people are going to try to tell you. I'm more annoyed. They gave up on Otani. Like, they tapped out. They didn't even make an effort. I don't want to be here. Okay. And I know it's not the same as CC Sabathia because as great as CC was coming off of 08, there didn't seem to be, like, this incredible market for him. And so when the Yankees made their shock and awe offer to him, they outbid everybody by a mile. But they convinced a guy that had no interest in coming to New York to come to New York. So if the Mets lose out on Yamamoto and they offered him the most money, yes, it's a reflective discussion. Yeah, it's what do you have to do to change the image of the New York Mets? And that's a worthy discussion we could do a million podcasts on. But am I mad at the owner if he made the biggest offer? And I think they will be. And if they don't, then we can go to town. (laughs) Because as much as I think not landing or attempting to land Otani kind of kills the caricature we created in our minds of Steve Cohen. If they're not the highest bidder on a guy, I think they need more than anybody else, especially with the plan that they have. That's a problem. That's a problem. (sighs) But thank you very much for the email. I'm trying to think, did he say anything else in there? Oh yeah. Oh, the 5% chance of signing Juan Soto and, and keeping Pete Alonso. Here's what I would say about losing Pete and then replacing him with Juan Soto. And it's sort of similar to what I just said 
about Otani and J.D. Martinez. Nobody's arguing, especially with the age of J.D., that you'd be better off with J.D. Martinez than Shohei Otani. Not even making that argument. But when you look at last season and that lineup, they are taking away great production from Martinez and simply replacing it with a guy who had better production. But again, you're not going from an average Major League Baseball player to Shohei Otani. So when you look at this on a year-by-year basis, just one year, how much did the L.A. Dodgers really improve? They they proved, but not as dramatically as maybe you think. And it's sort of similar if next year the Mets lose Pete Alonso to the Chicago Cubs and they replace him with Juan Soto. Juan Soto's a better player. Nobody's arguing that. But the dream is to have both. Obviously, J.D. and Otani don't work together, but Juan Soto and Pete Alonso do. And so if the Mets really do put that big boy pants on and they sign Juan Soto as a free agent next year, and now you've got this core of Nimmo, Lindor, Soto, Alonzo, McNeil, that's awesome. To simply take Pete away and replace Soto, you get better, but you're not building like this dream lineup that maybe you're envisioning. Steven has some creative ideas, creative uses of Uncle Stevie's money. Remember how creative they were last year? They bought off the contracts of Verlander and Scherzer to get back prospects. It was sort of unheard of. So we've seen creativity before. Steven writes, Evan loved the show. As we've already seen, Cohen and crew use their finances and strategy in strategic ways, namely buying a farm. With the Mets needing pitching, if they miss out on Yamamoto and with free agent pitchers being in short supply, and with the Mets not wanting to trade prospects or guys of value, Could you foresee the Mets spending on a guy like Cody Bellinger with the intention of using him as a trade piece for pitching at the deadline? Or at the very least, adding Bellinger so that he gives us the depth to move somebody else for pitching, assuming he performs well. I wouldn't be high on signing Bellinger for Bellinger's sake, but in this scenario, he'd potentially have a higher upside. I'll hang up and listen. I like what you're thinking. I don't think Cody Bellinger is the right example because I think you're going to have to so grossly overpay him and give him a lot of years where I don't know if we're sitting here in July and teams are going to fall all over themselves to trade for that contract. And if your plan is, well, don't worry, we'll just buy it off. Remember, Cohen bought off a year of Max Scherzer. Not including last year. If you want to include last year, it's a year and a half of Max Scherzer. He potentially paid off two and a half years of Justin Verlander. We'll see if his vesting option clicks for 2025. That is far different than paying off seven years of a baseball player. I think there are guys that could fit that. I think guys on one-year deals, and they play really well. Like, look at Luis Severino. What if Luis Severino has a great first half and the Mets aren't any good? You could trade him away for big-time prospects. Now, I don't want to think that way because I want to compete. In this world we live in with... There being three wildcard teams, and the Diamondbacks just went to the World Series. I don't want to be thinking about, well, this guy will play well. We'll trade him for prospects. No. It doesn't take much to be competitive. It doesn't. But it's an interesting idea. I like that. Douglas Peterson writes, I think I need you to talk me off the ledge right now. After this Otani signing, I'm struggling to find any reason why Yamamoto would come to the Mets other than money. First off, there are the Yankees. They just traded for a top five player in baseball to go along with the other top five player in baseball, and they are clearly trying to win now, or at least very soon. Plus the history, which may or may not hold any weight with Yamamoto, so I'm only kind of considering that. Second, the Dodgers, who I believe have a way more compelling case. 
If this report of deferred payments in order to build a winning team around Otani is true, and they would would they still and that they're still in the mix for Yamamoto, why would he go anywhere else? You get to pitch with the greatest one through three in the lineup ever protecting you, at least for the next four years. And one of them happens to be not only your friend, but also literally the greatest baseball player ever and the pride of your country. Even if the Mets offer Yamamoto significantly more money, I can't see a reason why he'd want to come to this toxic bleep hole that we call home. (laughs) I understand I'm probably a bit irrational and more doom and gloom than is good for me, but this offseason, at least for my Mets, really hinges on whether or not they land Yamamoto. I think I'd be happy if they landed Jordan Montgomery and Shota Imanagaga, Imanaga, for example, but I can't shake this anxious feeling. Also, the chances of the Mets actually landing two of the upper-tier arms are probably pretty slim. Another player I'd like to mention on the subject of this email suggests is J.D. Martinez. I feel like it's a no-brainer to do whatever you have to do to get Martinez on this team. Not only is he a great hitter, but he could also probably significantly help the younger players. Of course, one factor to consider is that he only played 113 games in 2023. By the way, he still at 30-plus home runs. Regardless, he could be good on a one- to two-year deal to get actual production out of the DH position. Anyways, thanks for getting me through the offseason. The Rico is my favorite listen of the week. Very much appreciate that. Evan, oh, God. <laughs> His PS is correcting my pronunciation. It was such a great email. But Douglas, I appreciate that. I want to pronounce everyone's name right. Evan, please, for the love of God, can you try to pronounce these Japanese players' names correctly? Just pronounce each syllable as it's spelled. Yoshinobu Yamamoto. Well, well, hold on a second. Haven't I gotten that right all year? Yoshinobu Yamamoto. Shota Imanaga. Yeah, that one I've screwed up, I admit. It's not that hard. I'm probably being a dick. Sorry. <laughs> no, you're not being a dick or anything. I, um, Imana, Imanaga. Oh, they, I'll tell you, if they sign him, this is going to be a pain. This is going to kill me all year. It's like Kayvon Thibodeau versus Thibodeau because Tom Thibodeau screws me up. But I, I, I have to disagree. Haven't I gotten Yoshinabu Yamamoto right the entire time? That's what I thought. All right, let me answer your question, Douglas. You're right, and I'm concerned. You are right, and I'm concerned. The Los Angeles Dodgers and the New York Yankees, not just based on the expectations for this season, not just based on what's on their roster right now, but based on their history. And that could matter. I don't know if it matters, but it could matter. You would think that the Dodgers and the Yankees, based on the roster today and based on their history, would have an advantage over anybody they're pursuing. But I still believe a lot of guys, if not all, and it's not all, but a lot of guys want the biggest offer. And that's what the Mets are fighting for. Now, the Mets can also sell them on a core and sell him on, I don't know if it matters, but Kodai Senga being in the rotation with him and sell him on, we're not done spending. In fact, that great player the Yankees just acquired, we're going to go after him next year or whatever plans they have. So I don't think the Mets have like a bad story to sell, but is it as good as the Yankees and the Dodgers? No, I'm not going to lie to you just because it's Rico Brown. I'm not going to tell you the Mets have something more appealing. But then again, it depends on what you find to be appealing. You know, guys have egos. And I don't know if Yamamoto has an ego, but maybe deep down he wants to be the ace of a team. And maybe deep down he's like, I'm not the ace of the Yankees. 
Maybe deep down he says, ah, if Kershaw's back or Otani next year, I ain't the ace of that team. And maybe he thinks, I like Cody, he's a good player, but Cody ain't the ace, I'm the ace. Who knows? I'm not trying to make that up to make anybody feel better. I'm reminding you that the one scary thing about free agency, like when we watch baseball, we watch sports, we know what we see, we have an opinion on it. Free agency, like who the hell knows what a guy wants? That's why for me to sit here cocky about it, I can't be cocky about it. I want to be cocky that the Mets will make the biggest offer. They better make the biggest offer because I think they'll be held to pay from this fan base if they don't make the biggest offer. And the point I made earlier about Cohen, the caricature we created dying with not even making an offer for Otani, I think that'll even go up higher if they don't make the biggest offer for Yamamoto. But you never know what a person wants. You never know what a player is looking for. And that's always dangerous. It's always dangerous. Now, I have been thinking, and we talked about this on the last pod, what do you do if he doesn't come here? Where do you go if he doesn't come here? And we've gotten a lot of emails about that. Matt on Long Island writes, Evan, plain and simple, if we don't get Yoshi, no signings just to make signings. Prepare prepare for 2025 when the free agent class is much better. If you have to majorly overpay for Jordan Montgomery and bring him in, Snell, no way in hell. Thanks, Matt. So I I partially agree with you in this sense. I don't want to put a mega contract on someone that's blah. I don't want to just buy somebody for the sake of buying somebody. But I want this team to be competitive in 2024. And so what that means is you have to add major league starting pitching. If that means overpaying on short-term deals just to get real arms in here and not sit here relying on Jose Budo and Tyler McGill, you do it. I agree with you that I think Montgomery's got the biggest upside of all the guys that are there. But I I think when you say just start worrying about 225 or 2025, that's that's a tough one. (laughs) I don't want to think about that. I don't want to think about that. Sean writes, I wanted to talk about Yamamoto and the Mets' pursuit. The Mets fans are obviously out of their mind crazy saying this team needs Yamamoto. I agree they need him because they need a good long-term pitcher, but I don't believe the Mets have this pressure to not be able to miss out on him, as some some fans and sports radio folks say. The pressure is 100% on the Yankees. They just went all in for 2024 with a rental in Soto. How could they justify not adding Yamamoto? They'd be sacrificing a chance at a championship, and it's already a season now of championship or bust. What are the Mets' expectations? We're not one pitcher away from a championship, and 2025 offers a great class of pitching free agents. Clearly, Yamamoto would be a great addition, and I believe Cohen will try his best, but we're actually lucky he doesn't run this team like Hall for the fans. Trade everything, always, right away, and make ridiculous trades and signings. Sorry, Hoff. I disagree with you about the Yankees needing a more. Even though I made the point on the radio last week, I stand by that the Yankees are going all in for 2024, which they are. I don't think they need to get the guy who's got the biggest long-term upside, right? Isn't that the appealing part of Yamamoto? Long-term upside because of his age, 25 years old. The Yankees right now, and to an extent the Dodgers, are trying to hit in this moment. So if I told you, and it's certainly on the table, that Yamamoto in his rookie season is going to be average and then get better as time goes on, that shouldn't surprise anybody. 
And just because other Japanese pitchers haven't done that, and sometimes it goes the other way, doesn't mean that's a guarantee of how it's going to work out. He is still 25 years old, making an adjustment to the United States and making an adjustment to potentially a five-man rotation and making an adjustment to a different baseball and making an adjustment to different lineups. It is possible, if not likely, if I was going to guess, that the best of Yamamoto is not 2024, but maybe it's 2026 when he's 27 years old with that experience. The beauty of Yamamoto is that it is long-term. That's why I want him. That's why a lot of Met fans want him. Sure, you want him to be good this year. Sure, you want to have a chance to win this year, but it's more about long-term. Hey, I got a guy for the next decade, potentially, who could be a top-of-the-rotation guy. The Yankees need pitching. They have an ace. They have an ace. So filling out the rotation with solid middle-of-the-arm guys who can help you today is probably more important. Now, that's not to say they shouldn't go after the guy, but you framed it as they need him more. I don't think they need him more because if the Yankees pivot and their pivot is to Jordan Montgomery and their pivot is to middle-of-the-rotation arms, that's not bad considering they've got Garrett Cole at the top of the rotation. And they're certainly hoping that Carlos Rodon returns to his form from two years ago. Right now, our rotation features one guy in Quintana who is on a contract year, another guy in Severino who's on a contract year, and then Kodai Singo, who was really good last year, but he's the only guy I saw long term. He's the only guy who you would confidently say, barring injury, knock on wood, he's in the rotation in three years. That's not the case with the Yankees. They got a bunch of guys like that. So I don't know if this is trying to make yourself feel better. I don't know if this is, I just want to feel okay if we lose out on him. Dude, it's going to suck if they lose out on him. And to sell it to yourself as if the Yankees need him more, I just don't agree with it. Theo wrote the same thing. Theo writes, I have a problem with Yamamoto. The Yankees now need pitching. They gave up the glue of the rotation. The Mets want to be competitive, but I don't know if they're ready to spend 35 to $40 million a year. What do you think, Evan? And do you think he would be the only major signing this offseason? See, 35 to $40 million this season. This is year one of a long-term deal. This is why I didn't want to go in on Juan Soto. I agree with Theo that the Mets right now, are we are viewing them in all likelihood no matter what they do, by the way, the rest of the offseason, as a fringe playoff team. I don't think any of us are going into this season thinking they're winning this division, or maybe even thinking they're the second-best team in this division. We are probably thinking, whether they sign Yamamoto or not, hey, things break right, fringe playoff team. But you don't not sign somebody who's 25, who you hope to have for a decade because of just this season. See what I'm saying? It's kind of like, Theo, I get what Theo's saying, but he's sort of making the same point that Sean made in terms of, well, we don't really need him. Well, of course the Mets need him. Because even the free agents next year, like Corbin Burns and Shane Bieber, they're in their 30s. You get the guy who's 25 years old. Don King writes, I wanted to discuss why I believe Juan Soto will not perform up to his baseball standards. Number one, changing leagues. People forget how difficult it was for these players to perform once they switch leagues. Guys like Matt Olson, Manny Machado, Corey Seager took around a year to finally get used to their respective leagues pitching. 
pitchers get an advantage when these guys haven't played against them before. Uh, fine examples, but I do think that's lesser today than ever because of the fact that there's interleague play every day and you're facing these American League teams three times a year or National League teams three times a year. So it exists, but not nearly as much as it used to. His second point, the typical Yankee fan. Imagine you're a player that just won the MVP and then got traded to a new team the year after. Your first game you play, you strike out four times and every fan in the building is booing you. That player was Giancarlo Stanton. You could expect the same treatment for Juan Soto if he fails to come out of the gate hot while adjusting to the new league. It won't be surprising if he struggles. The booing is only going to make it worse. I talked about this on the air last week because Juan Soto got off to a really bad start with San Diego. And we had talked about that on the Rico. And I remember even bringing it up about a year ago. Boy, could you imagine how we would have reacted if we had traded our entire farm system for this generational town who at the time was 23 and he hit 220 with a 780 OPS? We would have crushed him. So you're not even making anything up. I'm not making anything up when I say, hey, what if Juan Soto struggled in his first month like he did with San Diego. First two months like he did in San Diego. Of course he'll get booed. Every guy who's ever come here has gotten booed. Met players have gotten booed. Yankee players have gotten booed. I think where you have to pivot on this, though, is do you necessarily think Juan Soto's not going to be able to handle it? Certain guys can't. Giancarlo, say what you want about him. He's handled it brilliantly. So I think he'll get booed. I don't know if that's going to turn him away. Number three, contract year. History has shown Soto has trouble performing under pressure in terms of his image and ego. For example, the Nationals offered him a $400 million extension he turned down, and then he was traded to San Diego. Soto performed horrible as a Padre in the first half. I believe he was filled with regret for not accepting the extension, and then it got in his head with with it affecting his hitting. The same mentality could affect him this year in the Bronx. I don't know if that's why he struggled, but (laughs) it's your email. My final point is his double-edged sword, the walk. There'll be big moments where Yankee fans will expect him to come through, and instead he'll probably just look for a walk. Him and Judge are supposed to drive in runs. I predict Yankee fans will get irritated by Soto's passiveness and further boo him. I agree. I've brought that up before, but I think we're the same way too. I think you just need to tell yourself who the player is, what the player is, and try to prepare for it. Juan Soto, passive may not be the right word. He is Bonds-like, because Bonds did the same thing, by the way. He is Bonds-like in that if it ain't a strike, he ain't extending. And I'll never forget one of my first lessons to sports talk radio when I was a kid was Daw, Chris Russo, killing Wade Boggs for that when he was a Yankee. Say, hey, listen, Wade. I mean, three of us stop looking for a walk. And so I could see how that would drive people nuts. Finally, Don, uh, or Dunn, predicts, Soto will at 240, 25 home runs, 85 RBIs with a 400 on base. Great production, but not worth $500 million. Essentially, those numbers mimic his first half year in San Diego. On the bright side, his stats plummeting make it easier to bargain down his contract price for next year's offseason. So I disagree with that last part. I think, barring injury, and even injury, by the way, he is so young and so talented that I don't think his season's really going to change how much money he makes. And I know that's not normal for free agents, but I think when you've got a guy who's 25, 26, has put up really good production throughout his career, even if he's trended down compared to the first few years of his career, I think teams are going to fall all over themselves. Plus, there's no one else out there that can even come close to that kind of talent and that kind of production. 
If you think him having a bad year statistically is going to bring down his prices, I would disagree with you. But appreciate the emails. Appreciate all the emails. The RicoBHemail.com. Obviously, we'll cover the Yamamoto stuff once it goes down next week. A couple of other interesting pods coming up over the next few weeks and months. I have decided, and I don't like it, but you guys wanted it, that the rewatch game, and I want to announce this now so that you can do it over the holidays if you have free time, if you're with your family and you want to depress yourself even more. Overwhelmingly, people did want to watch Game 7, 2006 against the Cardinals. So we will make it official. That'll be our rewatch. We won't do the podcast for another month or so, so we'll give everybody time to find the game. It is on YouTube. Sit down and watch it. Game 7, 06 against the Cardinals. But I think we should do another rewatch. And I think that other rewatch should be a random Mets game from the past. Not a playoff game, not a World Series game, not even a memorable game. There are so many random games on YouTube. How funny would it be and how cathartic would it be to sit back and watch a random game from 1989? So I'll leave that up to you. If you want to suggest random games on YouTube, send us your suggestions at thericob at gmail.com. Also coming up as the offseason rolls on, There are some Mets fans that think this is going to be the worst offseason ever. Well, now we have the hindsight of history. We will rank the worst offseasons in the history of the New York Mets. Plus, as requested by a Rico listener a few months ago, I have started compiling a list of the greatest one-year wonders in Met history. In fact, since it was a Rico emailer's idea, the name of the podcast will be Patrick Stern Presents One-Year Mets. And that's coming up as well. So, a lot of things for your Rico Bronya as this offseason rolls on. We do appreciate you listening and writing. The Rico B at gmail.com is our email. Thank you very much for checking in on Rico Bronya. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Rico Bronya podcast. It's amazing, isn't it? Make sure you download it now to keep it on you at all times. 